This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today. Jeff Day from the Star Tribune will join me here in a little bit. Jeff had a really interesting piece on Gophers Volleyball that was online a few days ago in the in print over the weekend. Had a little chance to check, check in with him on kind of the making of that story and more, more interestingly just why it is that the Gopher, Gopher Volleyball Program is so good and how they kind of bring in the best talent in the country and then reshape them in the way they want them to play and what that process looks like. So a really interesting conversation with Jeff. Hope you enjoy that. uh, That'll be in just a few minutes here. Got to talk twins a little bit. They won again. Another walk-off for them, 26-16. and Now um, we'll get into that game towards the end of the show. But first, what did I miss? The big, big story in the market, at least uh, for a day or two, Tim Connolly. Wolves hired him as their new president of basketball operations, luring him away from Denver, where he has held a similar role for the last nine years. Big contract for Tim Connolly, five years of reported $40 million plus an ownership stake. Let's get into kind of what I like about this and what I maybe have some concerns about when it comes to this deal to bring in Tim Connolly. So let's let's start with the positive first. Tim Connolly, obviously a proven um, guy to run this this basketball operations. He's, He's done it with Denver. They've kind of built up slowly but surely. They've made the postseason now four years in a row reached the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago in the uh, in the bubble season. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's someone who has done this before, who, who you know can can build build a winning team, who, who is, you know, has the experience to do this, who, you know, maybe running a team similar or, or that the Wolves might aspire to be. Um, you know, they've, they've had a winning percentage of, you know, over 600 over the last four years, a bunch of years where, you know, on pace, if they had been full seasons to win 50 games and really, you know, just, you know, just that, that process that they've built that up in that way is, is a model for the Wolves to, you know, to, to emulate. So, you know, the Wolves went out and got somebody like that. Obviously the draft is a big deal for you know, a market like Denver for any team really in the NBA. And, you know, Tim Connolly and the Nuggets have really killed it in the draft over the years. Obviously, the big one being one of the first drafts that Connolly oversaw in 2014 when they got Nikola Jokic in the second round, 41st overall in that draft. Obviously, Jokic, uh, no one would have predicted exactly what he would become a two-time MVP now. But when you hit on someone like that, when you evaluate and draft someone like that in the second round, you are doing something right. But it has not just been uh, Nikola Jokic over the years. They've also drafted, you know, Malik Beasley, 19th overall in 2016. Jamal Murray with the seven pick in 2016. That was the year, of course, the Wolves passed on Jamal Murray and instead took Chris Dunn. That was when Tom Thibodeau was running the Wolves as the president of basketball operations and the head coach. Um, you know, some other good draft picks, second round, Monty Morris in 2017, Michael Porter Jr., first round in 2018, Zeke Naji, um, local product in 2020 with the 22nd overall pick in 2021, Bones Highland out of VCU, 
They've gotten production out of all of those guys. Bones Highland, the 26th pick. So they found either, you know, star players or supporting players through the draft. And that's an important thing. When they, when you've got a track record of doing that, you can have success anywhere. But especially in a market like Minnesota, you're going to need to do that. The other thing I like about it is the Wolves have to work the margins to a certain degree to compete in this league. They're, they're not going to they're not going to be able to get like the the highest price free agents typically, but maybe that will change as time goes on. Maybe this will become a more desirable free agent destination, but there's always going to be some things about this market that are unattractive to free agents, the weather being one of them. Let's be honest, this is not a place where, you know, you think of right away to suspend your winters. So in, in a league with a salary cap and a league with certain demands, going out and making a move like this where it does not have salary cap ramifications where you can outspend somebody like Denver, which apparently made an effort to keep uh, to keep Connolly but could not compete with the offer the Wolves made, that's a win. That's that's a that's a place where you can win. That's a place where you can can make you know to where you can make a difference and find a difference maker. So that part of it I like as well. Now a couple of downsides to this in my estimation. One contract is exactly the same except for the ownership stake as the one they gave Tom Thibodeau way back in uh, way back in 2000 uh, 2016 the 5 years the 40 million dollars and again that's circumstantial but it does go to show this sometimes when you throw money around at someone who is you know thought to be at the top of the industry that does not work out for you i'm not saying this won't work out i think you know connolly has a very good track record but sometimes when you lock in on someone and you know hail them as the savior it does not necessarily work out so you know watch out for overspending overreaching in cases like this the other thing that i'm worried about is denver hasn't won anything not a damn thing they they've made the playoffs they they reached a western conference finals they made it past the second or made it to the second round a couple of the times but that should not be the model you aspire to. I know injuries, bad luck in the last couple of years, especially injuries to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. have derailed their progress. But if if this is the if Denver is the model you want to emulate, that is still not a championship model. That's a model where you can be sustainably good, sustainably, you know, hope and aspire to be a top four team in a conference. But that's not a model yet that has proven to be a um, to, to to proven to be a championship model. So. That piece of it concerns me a little bit as well. If that's if that's what they're aspiring to be, that is not a championship team yet. If that you know, so I think the Wolves fans would certainly take um, some stable, um, you know, bunch of years in the playoffs in a row where you are contending, giving yourself a chance. I, I get that, but you know, this is not someone they're luring away from a team that won two NBA titles or a team that <clears throat> you know is constantly at the very top. This is a team that's been pretty good to very good in the last few years and that's you know that's a that's a model to chase but I don't know if that's a model that you necessarily you know I don't think that's the end goal for any organization so watch those things let's see how far Tim Connolly can build this thing I'm, I'm interested in it I'm curious about it it's a big splashy move I think he's got a good track record how far he can take these wolves remains to be seen whether he can build on the edges of this roster add one more two more core pieces without that big draft capital that they've had in the past where they've had the number one pick to take Anthony Edwards, the number one pick to take Carl Anthony Towns. Those are their two big cornerstone players. They're not going to have that now that they have improved and are, you know, were a playoff team this year. Their draft pick is 19 this year. Are they, are they going to be able to 
work on those margins to build this roster. That's what Tim Connolly's mission will be. He's in a good position to do it. He's got a track record to do it. But whether he can do it remains to be seen. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Jeff Day, Star Tribune writer, editor. Had a really interesting piece. Went online late last week, was in the paper um, over the weekend as well. And just a, just a really interesting look at the Gophers volleyball team and you know, head coach Hugh McCutcheon, some of some of the process that they use to, you know, ha- that they have used to become one of the most consistently elite programs in the country, you know, final fours, elite eights, sweet 16s. It's, those are pretty commonplace and routine for this program. And Jeff really kind of went behind the scenes to show us why and how. Um, Jeff, how you doing? I'm good, Michael. Thanks for having me on to talk about this. Absolutely. I thought it was really a fascinating story. You don't always get a peek behind the curtain. You just, you didn't, you didn't just take us kind of behind the scenes of the program. You showed us kind of the why, which is why I wanted to talk to you today, kind of because the kind of the crux of the story, the lead, especially of the story was, you know, they've got these high profile recruits that they've just brought in. Um, you know, some of them, you know, high school, all Americans, best player in Minnesota, you know, just, you know, the, the best of the best. And when they get here, you know, they've gotten here for spring practice now, and you know, early early enrollees, they want to kind of get get going, get get a jump on the fall season. They essentially, as good as they are right now, they kind of have to relearn everything about volleyball to play the way Hugh McCutcheon and the Gophers want them to play. And I thought that was an interesting kind of push pull. It has to be kind of humbling for someone someone so good, but also I want to get into the the why they need to do that. So maybe we can kind of start with the process and and kind of what it takes to to kind of relearn that from the from the maybe from the athlete's perspective first. Yeah. So you know this started with a press release the Gopher sent out just saying they had signed these recruits and that they were coming for early um, practice, graduating early, coming for practice. And so I went over to just do I was going to do it. Well, a you read these emails and you think about any other program if they were to announce that they had just signed the number one recruit in the country, an all American from Colorado um, and the best player in the state of Minnesota for this recruiting class. And you just read it and you're like, it's just one of those things that you say, how is this not a bigger deal? You know? Um, And one of the things that I got lucky enough to learn just in covering the team during the NCAA tournament run was that volleyball is not some niche sport there are over 300 division one teams the competition is super fierce the competition for recruiting is super fierce i mean wisconsin won an ncaa title last year with a bunch of minnesotans on their team you know so you get an you get the idea that um this isn't an easy process to land this level of talent um and the gophers tend to do this year after year they tend to grab even though they missed out on some of these girls that went to wisconsin to a really good wisconsin program they still come back and land a girl like mckenna wercher or julia hansen or carter booth so anyway um went over just to do a story on that and the girls were saying they just had these statements that were kind of a little jokey but really also very serious which was that um how difficult it is to go for going from be the best player on your team or your state to being what Julia Hansen referred to as the worst player on the court. And so 
you know, and then Carter Booth said something along the lines of it's it's interesting to not be able to hit the ball over the net. And they were sort of talking and McKenna said something along the lines of she had to let go of everything she had accomplished prior to coming to the school. And it that brought to mind something that um, Jenna Wenis and Melanie Shaftmaster had said during the NCAA tournament run, which was that the journey to um, becoming a college player was insanely difficult for them and a transition that they had battled for over the course of, I think for them, you know, because of the COVID shortened seasons, it was over yeah. whatever, 12 months, two seasons <laughs> packed into, to, you know, a very short window. This is a long way of explaining that it just piqued my interest about wh- why is that? Why is it that these players who are so accomplished? Cause I think maybe you and me as people who follow sports who report on sports, there's this inclination to think that, great athletes are great athletes and their transition is almost easier, the better they are as a high school player. And some of what became apparent was that that just simply is not true. And every player to a T that you talk to at that program will tell you that the stuff that these girls is going through is the exact same stuff that they went through, which is a real humbling and a complete reworking of how they play. And part of that is because, and the girl said this, when you are very good and you're young, your the amount of teaching you get is actually sort of inverse because you're so good and your talent is so natural your teaching is almost lessened because there are other girls who are going to need more teaching because maybe they're not quite as talented and so they need a little bit more of that growth from the coaching standpoint whereas a coach is going to look at McKenna Wurcher and go you're crazy good go out there and do what you do I'm not saying they don't get coaching at all but you understand my point of view so when they come and work with a coaching staff like this that says, yeah, you're good. You have natural ability, but you can't, th- that's not going to carry you when you get into this level of competition uh, week in and week out at, at the big 10 level. So that was the impetus for starting the reporting. And it was also very eye-opening for me just to realize that m- my thoughts and perceptions about high level athletics was wrong. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's it. And, and I do wonder, like, is it, is this, I wouldn't say if it's particular or just unique to volleyball, but I imagine volleyball has this element to it because as you describe in the story, there is such a rhythm and kind of, you know, one little thing is off in volleyball and there's other sports like that. I suppose, you know, you've got, you know, every sport, every team sport relies on some sort of, you know, clock like movement of, of these pieces moving around, but volleyball in particular, because it's, moving really fast and it's, it's this precise thing where the ball has to be right there or it's going to be off or you're not going to get the point or the ball's going to go into the net instead of going over and you know you have enough of those mistakes you're going to lose so I guess you know as you think about it in, in that way is it do you think it's particularly like this that, that McCutcheon in, in, in this program demanded because the sport itself demands such you know such a high level of precision that even if you were really good in high school and can probably get away with some sloppiness. That's not going to cut it at this level, as opposed to, you know, a great golfer who's going to be a great golfer, no matter what, um, a great, you know, pitcher, you know, he's going to learn new pitches and things like that, but it's different when you have such a, a machine to, 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 to run smoothly. Well, you, uh, you and I talked about this during that tournament run when you were talking about, you had covered this team during um, some NCAA tournament runs during your reporting career. And I was really the, the, the spectacle that is watching high level college volleyball was insane to me. I could not believe the level of athleticism and the stuff that you're talking about is what really, 
it was almost very difficult to comprehend watching the first, like watching some of those NCAA tournament matches. It's like the, the rhythm of it. And the fact that the thing that to me makes it different is that the ball doesn't stop. There is no, there is no time to gather yourself as the play is happening. You know, you think about baseball or basketball or even football, you kind of have these moments of um, the calming of the storm of the sport you know, in basketball, a point guard can sit and gather the thought of the team around him and have that moment where you reset in the middle of a play. Well, in volleyball, there's none of that. It's just nonstop until the point is over. And so, um, you know, they talk a lot about in system, out of system. And I think part of the detail work is that you need to get all of these um, in system elements down correctly, because so much of the game is going to be played out of system. It's going to be wild. It's going to need to be improvised. It's going to need to have um, creativity. But if you don't have that basis underneath you, it's like you're you're going to be absolutely screwed. And so I do think that's part of why they're good at what they do. I think it's part of why um, they recruit. They, you, you need to have those athletes that are going to be willing to take that work on because um, there is so much detail in the foundation, you know, let alone getting into the creativity or the the sort of improvisational aspect of being at, you know, of navigating the sport with your team when it gets into high stakes or whatever, just learning the detailed fundamentals is, it was wild to watch day after day. And they do that. Their practices, Mike, were like, they were so regimented. Um, and they, you know, coach McCutcheon has talked about how he wants his practices to always have game application for this very reason. I think that when you're practicing, you need to be in the game flow and have the feeling that you are doing, you know, game application because that's the reality of it, because there is no pausing during the game. So they would be doing these same things every single day over, 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 over. Um, and it was just fascinating to watch because you could see that um, it, it was a difficult process for all the players. And like I said before, not just for the freshmen, you know, they're, Cece McGraw, who's been there for, is going to be going on her fifth season. She said the same thing. It's always a learning process. It's always trying to improve these little elements of the detail work. You know, when you demand that, I got to imagine how you deliver the message to these, you know, young women athletes is a big part of it too. You don't want to destroy confidence, but you, you want to build confidence. But when you're telling people you have to, not, you have to do it this way, but this is the path to greatness. You're not there yet. I got to imagine, you know, Hugh McCutcheon and his staff have to be, you know, not just skilled tacticians, but they have to be skilled in the art of how to deliver these messages over and over again. They have, um, I really enjoyed watching this coaching staff work because the, the two assistant coaches, you know, the, they had other staff there, but this was a very small crew. Um, two assistant coaches, Hugh, they had a volunteer assistant. Um, they had, um, now, Ikeda, I want to say her last name correctly, um, who's their director of operations. They brought in a new video coordinator. Um, and so it was a very intimate group of people working with these coaches. And so you could feel that their communication with each other, I think, was vital to how they are able to then communicate with the players. There's, It's not like Hugh is sort of this overseer who controls everything. It's a conversation between all of these assistants and the players, and then Hugh kind of on top of that, but um, not in a not in an overpowering way. And so you could sense that the message that they're sending to these players is uniform and is one of sort of like you're saying, it's kind of 
empathetic mixed with demanding. <laughs> so it's like, we, right. <laughs> we understand this is difficult. We're not naive to the fact that what we're trying, what we're asking of you is a hard process, but we're going to ask it of you. And we're going to ask it of you all the time. And we're going to try to, you know, tell you why it matters. And the stuff that, you know, to me as a sports fan, and also as just as a human being who's failed in his life and tries to be better on daily basis is that was the part to me that was really um, impactful and um, special to see and something that I thought really had value. I mean, this story to me was something that had great value because of the lessons they were trying to teach, which is that you can be really good at something, but it's still good to try to be better at it. And as you go through that process of losing some of your confidence, um, learn that it's okay to keep your confidence, to keep the thing that you know about yourself that is good, but also be open to the idea of failing or trying to rework it. And so um, the way that they deliver that message to the girls is really powerful. And you're talking about, you know, <laughs> young people. I mean, I don't know what you were like when you were 18 years old, but it's like, I, I couldn't believe the way that these athletes were handling the messaging that they were being given. And yes, that stuff to me is like, Oh, it just blows my mind to watch young people who are so far advanced in their like emotional maturity and in their ability to handle really difficult tasks and learning processes. And then like, I'm sitting there, <laughs> that was one of the things about it that when I would talk to family members or friends about it, I'd just be like, these are high school students. I mean, I'm talking about the three freshmen. Right. Of course. Yeah. We view them. It's like you come in, you have all this pedigree. Oh, you're the number one player. And it's like, don't, don't confuse yourself. This is a, I don't know how, I don't know the exact ages, but we're talking about high school seniors who have graduated early to come here. So um, the, I don't know, it just, it really was impressive to me. The, the exact thing that you're talking about, which is that there's a delicate balance going on between improvement and also, you know, self-affirmation and all of those kind of things. And they seem to do a really good job with it. All of the players, I think, seemed to respond to it. And I think while they might deal with players, you know, they're like any college program right now. Players transfer, um, people, they, they don't have a lot of turnover. Um, but I'm just saying, I'm sure there are people who struggle with the process. But in general, there seemed to be a consensus amongst players that you talk to that they want to be doing this work and they feel good about the way that these coaches are approaching that. And you so. followed a lot of this, you know, spring practice process. There's a couple quotes that, that stood out to me. Um, one was from Hugh McCutcheon. I'm going to read it back to you and maybe kind of, this kind of goes along with some of the things we were just talking about, but he said, I understand the importance of trying to be the best you can be. He, he's telling the team this, but having perfection as the standard where that's the expectation is really self-defeating because I just want you to know no one has ever played or will ever play a perfect game of volleyball. So that's, you know, that, that's a, that kind of goes to what you were saying that, you know, if you're, if your standard is perfection, you're that that's the wrong standard because nothing's ever going to be perfect. You have to aspire to be, you know, have this kind of repetition and, and get these, you know, get these things within this range, but you're never going to have this absolutely perfect play. Or if you do, if you feel like you did, it's going to be very, very fleeting and rare. That's absolutely, you know, that day was a really unique, there were a bunch of um, really interesting practices to watch. That one was one of them because it was probably the time when there, there was a feeling in the room of um, the coaches being unhappy with the way that the players were thinking about themselves. So it wasn't a feeling of them being unhappy with the process or being unhappy with the work they were doing. Uniformly, the coaches would say throughout spring, 
that they thought this was one of their hardest working groups, a group that they were really impressed with, with their ability to take on the tasks. But there was something going on with this nature of the players being hard on themselves or especially maybe talking about the process in a way that the coaches thought was this self-defeating element. And um, again, you know, this starts at the top with Coach McCutcheon, this a physiological neural pathway brain, you know, <laughs> the way that the brain impacts the body. It's a really smart and thoughtful and dense way of thinking about athletics. But to him, I think um, if you do not have a positive mindset and you don't enter into the arena with a feeling that what you're doing is good and you're working on this in a healthy way, then you're, it doesn't matter what your play is because eventually it's going to fall apart, you know? And so they were just really working with them on that process. And I think it showed throughout the entire spring that this was foundational to them, that we, that I'm saying we, not me, but them, saying, yes. you know, we want you to be the best player you can be, but that has to start with understanding and having a healthy relationship with yourself and with yourself within the sport. And um, I asked coach McCutcheon once <laughs> if this process would work if he um, lost, if he was a losing coach, if he did not win <laughs> yeah. at the rate that he does. And he didn't really have an answer for that, which is fair. I mean, he said, it's just the way that he does this. It's the way that has worked for him. And so it's like, he said it was kind of a chicken or an egg thing. I mean, does, does he win because the process works or does the process process work because he wins? Um, to me, over th this was about midway through my reporting. And eventually I just realized that there is no separation between the two. You know, I mean, um, this works. I think that's all that you can really say about it. Um, and that quote that he had there, I think, is probably sort of a mission statement for him, which is that they are not aiming for perfection. They are just aiming to do the work at their best, but also to allow the work to let these young athletes find a way to live a healthy life and to be proud of themselves for their accomplishments. And also, you know, that doesn't mean they don't continue to strive, but those two things can live concurrently, you know? Absolutely. And that leads me to another quote, which I think was from maybe the same practice. Even this was from the assistant coach, uh, Jen, is it Hauk or Hoke? It is so, Hauk. Yeah. yeah. They said, um, if we, as coaches talk to you, the way you talk to yourself, would you ever stay here? We are taught as women to be humble. Don't tolerate it. It's okay to build yourself up. It's not just okay. It's necessary. I mean, what do you do with that? I'm just talking about you as a person. If somebody were to come to you and say that to you, I mean, I think that's a, to me, at least I'm going, no, I'm not a young uh, star female volleyball player. But when she said that, I thought, I think every human being probably could use a message like that from yes. you, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 but I think it's especially tenuous for they will tell you that young women in today's society, especially young women with a profile that are looked at as by other young women as, you know, um, a lot of these girls are heroes to young, other younger girls who love volleyball and young, you look at the social media followings of some of these athletes. It's like, they're very, very popular. They have a platform that not a lot of 18, 19, 20 year olds do. And I think that with that comes a lot of, <laughs> probably insane difficulties um, and stress that the average person of that age doesn't deal with. And so I think part of that balance that uh, Coach Hawk was talking about is, again, it has to start internally. You have to start from a place of feeling good about yourself and being proud of yourself and then let other things flow from that. But um, 
I don't know. I when again, this goes why to why I, I this was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever reported on my life because I was blown away by um, in a world where sports can feel a certain way. The way that sports felt in that room was to me the way that society should feel. <laughs> I was yeah, like, no, that, that I, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I kind of was sitting there going, you know, this is a very small uh, group of people working hard to um, with another small, you know, just with young athletes, you know, whatever, 16 athletes. But I was there were times where I felt like this is a really nice blueprint for the way that people should treat each other, because you're trying to extract your best. You're trying to do your best work, but we're not going to put that over your well-being or the way that you um, operate as a human being in the world. And so that quote to me was really telling. And I, you know, I, like I said, Mike, I don't know about you, but I, when I hear somebody say that, I think there have been so many times in life where I know that I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else. Every, you, you might give everybody else the benefit of the doubt in your life. And yet if you are doing something wrong or you're failing, that can be really hard not to be super hard on yourself. And I, I can only imagine that is double fold for young women in society. And so I think that the work that they're doing is probably not easy. I think that's why they continue to harp on it, bring it back year after year, talk about these processes, because it's not just the repetitive nature of the volleyball. It's not just the repetitive nature of, you know, big set spike. It's the repetitive nature of the mind that these that is operating within these athletes bodies. And so, um, again, this is why it was interesting to yeah. me. And me too. I, you should go read this piece. If you haven't, you can probably still find it pretty easily on startribune.com. Um, go find it in the printed product as well. Um, Jeff, they really enjoyed this. Any final thoughts on this kind of as they, you know, I'm sure the, the work continues over the summer, but it really gets, you know, the fall is when we see, you know, the year after year, the building and the building, but the fall is where we see it, you know, on the court in these more pressure situations. I think to me, the thing that I take away the most from this is that this is a sport that is probably undervalued. And that's a weird thing to say about it, but there's something going on with collegiate volleyball to me that is, I don't know. I think that I don't, and it's like, it's sort of like a great band or a restaurant. It's like, you don't know if you wanted to get bigger or something because it feels kind of unique, but it wasn't there when I was doing those NCAA tournament press conferences, talking to other teams, it was like, there was such emotional maturity with a lot of these young women in this sport. And I think it probably stems from having smart coaches and smart youth programs. And I think that it's just a sport that I think maybe we should be paying more attention to. And I, um, as a complete aside, before I let you go, there was a discussion I was having with Annie Adams at Glavin for the Minnesota sports hall of fame, you know, uh -huh. one of the great um, yeah. Minnesota volleyball players and an all American in Nebraska and an early pioneer in the sport. Um, and she was asking the question of why is the state volleyball tournament not on television? It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, super high participation number rates. We're pumping out athletes that are going on to incredible college careers and it's not on TV. And I was like, boy, that's anyway, the deeper I got into this story, the, it was kind of like an onion, the more layers there were to it that I was very, very curious about. And so I hope to keep poking around at it, but I think for Minnesota sports fans, I don't think there is a better program to get behind because like I said, they're doing really unique and special work over there. And they're good, which is yeah, uh, another, uh, another fun, uh, but yes, but, but in addition to that, you're right. The, the, the process that they, that they go through is fascinating and just how good they've been for so long. Um, mm -hmm. There is, there's a certain value that I think you're right is, is underestimated. And it's one of the most entertaining sports you will watch. It absolutely moves at 
lightning speed. It, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really entertaining sport to watch. Well, and you know, too, Ramball, that the, the fans of Gopher Volleyball will tell oh. you they are not blind to it. Cause that place is packed. Oh, yeah. It is. Yes. I mean, yeah. That's a, that's a ticket you cannot get. There are not a lot of gopher sports that have a waiting list for season tickets. That's one of them. I mean, so it, I think, like I said, I think certain people know about it and are, and, and are listening to us going, yeah, good job. <laughs> Those who have figured it out have figured it out in a big yeah. way. And yeah. uh, the other people are waiting to get on board. Well, great story. Interesting stuff. Um, hopefully you can uh, rejoin me here at some point too, and talk through the next big thing, but uh, until then appreciate it and uh, good work. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Day. Like I said, go read that story. Just a really interesting look at that program, you know, reporting done over months, um, you know, various check-ins with that team. I just love stories like that where you kind of get a look behind the scenes and not just, you know, not just peeling back the curtain a little bit, but actually kind of getting into some depth with how a program is run. Um, so yeah, go check that out. And, uh, looking for more stories like that going forward from Jeff and from the Star Tribune. Let's finish with the Cooler Twins win again. Joe Smith finally gave up a run. It's almost June, and he finally gave up a run. Relief pitcher for the Twins had not given up an earned run all season. He gave up the tying run to Miguel Cabrera on a single um, late in that game, but the Twins rallied in the ninth for the run that got them the 5-4 win. Max Kepler, who hit a grand slam in the first inning, walked to lead off that inning. Gio Ursula, um, again, the hero with a with an infield hit in this game, gets the job done for the Twins. They walk off the Tigers 26-16. and I mean, every time they, they win, they, they, they get happy. This is a team that seems like they genuinely enjoy playing. They genuinely enjoy you know, the the clubhouse atmosphere, things like that. Um, so sometimes when you see the chemistry building, you've got to take notice. You've got to say, this is a team where maybe something special is happening. Again, we want to see it against better competition. We want to see it sustained past, you know, just a quarter of the season. But, you know, right now, things looking and feeling pretty good for this team. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's more than I could have expected, especially after that four and eight start, you know, four and eight to 26 and 16 means they are 22 and eight in their last 30 games. A whole lot of winning going on at Target Field, which, as they say in Bull Durham, beats losing. That'll do it for today. Back at it on Wednesday show. I think we're going to have some Vikings talk. Haven't talked Vikings for a while. Planning to have Andrew Kramer, who helps cover the Vikings on a Wednesday show, to talk a little bit about you know their access periods and what they've been up to the last couple weeks. So hope you enjoy that as well. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and we'll see you again tomorrow.